when I was a kid, I have no food, no clothes, or no time to school. When I came to SSO, my life was changed. I have good dad, good mom, I have good food, I have clothes from school, I have a lot of time with my brother and sister. It's very joyful for my life. We love to play together. I'd already turned the mute off. Thank you guys, it is so wonderful to be here. Uh, I already had a great time. I came in uh, yesterday afternoon, we had a shrimp boil at Mike and Amy Dent's house. I uh, met some of you guys there. Uh, I've felt really welcomed here. Uh, as Rick said, I'm John McCollum, and I'm uh, the director and a co-founder of an organization called Asia's Hope. You saw some of my kids up on the screen there. Uh, and it's just uh, great to be here. I, I feel a deep affinity for this church. The more I learn about First, church, uh, First City Church, the more I feel uh, like this is a place that I can really uh, get down with. Um, you know, I see in so many ways, it's great to be here right before Serve Day. I've, it's been uh, super cool to go downstairs. I encourage you all come downstairs afterwards, go to the coffee shop. Sign up for Serve Day. I'll be down there. Uh, you can talk to me down there. Um, but, you know, I feel like this church deeply cares about the same sort of things I care about. And the one thing that moves me most uh, when I've talked to your leaders is, is uh, hearing about how this church endeavors to lead people, to guide people into courageous leadership on behalf of the vulnerable children in your community. And so I pray a strong blessing on you guys. Um, and I think it's thanks to uh, Pastor Rick and others' uh, leadership. Uh, I think about Taryn and Jesse uh, and the example they're providing with foster care and many others of you here in this church uh, that God is doing and is wanting to do even greater things with this church, not only in Pensacola, uh, but around the world. So uh, Pastor Rick wanted me to share a little bit about 
about my story. Uh, it, it's one of those things that, you know, I'm in a ministry that involves hundreds of people. So it's not all about me, but I'm the only one who can really tell my story from a first person standpoint. So I just wanted to share uh, a little bit about what God's uh, uh, done in my life, of how I've discovered my calling, uh, and how our organization, Asia's Hope, is guiding people into courageous leadership. Uh, let me just pray quickly. Father God, I pray the strongest possible blessing on this church. I pray that your Holy Spirit would move in the hearts of uh, not only the people in this church, but uh, the people in the community that they've been called to love and serve. And we pray that uh, today uh, my words would be your words and that uh, I would have power upon my words, uh, not because of uh, my preparation, but because of the preparation you're already doing in the hearts and minds of everyone who's hearing uh, me today. And we ask all this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So right now, my life is uh, very, very much centered on work in Asia. But uh, growing up, I didn't know anything about Asia. I didn't care anything about Asia. I grew up in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, I grew up in sort of a suburban slash a blue collar family. And um, if you would have asked me up until the time I was like in my mid-20s, the top 25 places I'd like to go visit in the world, there wouldn't have been a single place in Asia. Um, like it, not the Taj Mahal, not the Great Wall of China. It's not that I disliked Asian people or Asia. I just didn't know anything about it. As I was saying to Tom last night, when I was growing up, Vietnam wasn't a country, it was a war. And so, uh, you know, uh, th that, that's just sort of where I was. I, I, I guarantee you I couldn't have found Cambodia on a map. I'm going to talk a lot about Cambodia today. We're in Cambodia, Thailand, and India. But because Cambodia is where it start, sort of started, where the ministry started, um, but I couldn't find Cambodia on a map, and to be honest, how many of you, if, if all, the, all the names were taken off the map, you could get within two countries of Cambodia? A few of you, yeah, that's good. We got some, uh, I couldn't, so don't feel bad about that. Uh, uh, and, 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 uh, but all that started to change when I was in my uh, late 20s. I was married, um, I'd been working, grew up in Columbus, was working in Detroit, which is about three hours away. We decided to move back to Columbus where my family was, where my wife's family was, because we felt like we wanted to start a family ourselves. And um, we had always felt for some reason God was leading us into adoption. And so that was our first choice. Uh, we started looking at all the different uh, uh, domestic adoption and international adoption. God started pushing us towards international adoption, just the conversations we had. And then when it came down to it, uh, we had a choice between Guatemala and Vietnam. And Guatemala would have made some sense because both my wife and I speak a little bit of Spanish. Uh, it's close, uh, relatively speaking. Uh, but for whatever reason, this kid, uh, who grew up in a world not really knowing anything at all about Asia, we felt a strong confirmation and a strong direction towards Vietnam. And so uh, we started the adoption process. Uh, it was a, uh, one of those long, drawn-out, uh, emotional uh, uh, processes. It was actually a bad time for us to do it uh, because I had also just started a business. And you know, any of you who have started a business or worked for a startup or been a part of a church plant or something like that, those first years, they're emotionally draining. They're, they're physically exhausting. They're financially straining. But this was the time that we felt like we were supposed to do it. And, and, and so we just had to say yes. And so in June 1998, we traveled to Hanoi, Vietnam. We adopted our son, Chien. He's now almost 22. Uh, he's in college. That's my wife. That, that's actually me. Uh, uh, back in, in, it seems like a different life. Um, uh, and, and we had never been anywhere before that. 
We'd, never, we'd certainly never been to Asia or any developing countries. Uh, we didn't really know anything, and we'd never seen anything like it. But when we went to Vietnam, we went with a group of other families uh, adopting children, and all of them, except for Corey and me, all of them were like, a little bit scared of the food and scared of the people and scared, scared, and they just wanted to get home. And Corey and I just felt in our hearts, do we have to go back? Do we have to go back? And, and God was doing something. He was changing something. Uh, but, but the things that we saw, we saw poverty like we'd never seen before. We saw the effects of war and deprivation, especially on kids. You see, our son Chien had come from a state-run orphanage. And, and when I say orphanage, uh, all of the things that probably spring to your mind, that Dickensian squalor and lack of resources and lack of nurture, that was definitely uh, uh, characterized the orphanage my son came from. As a matter of fact, a couple weeks before we got the permission to travel, we got news that uh, there had been 24 children in the orphanage who died of tuberculosis. And there was actually about a week when we thought our son was one of them. You know, communication wasn't great. Uh, so we went there, and when we returned home, we had a lot to do. We had, you know, business to run and, you know, a new baby. Uh, but we just couldn't stop thinking about, you know, what it was we had seen. And we felt called to do something, but we didn't know what. Uh, so we just kept on doing what we were doing. You know, we were, we were uh, working in the church. My wife and I were working with a youth group. Uh, we later followed those kids up into the young adults and, and worked with them there. Um, but, but we sort of felt stymied uh, to do anything. Uh, so we just kind of... Uh, kept on serving. And the youth pastor at the time, a guy named Phil Johnson, he said to me one day, John, I know you're really interested in Vietnam. Would you ever do anything in Cambodia? And I said, I don't know. You know, uh, maybe, sure. And, and all I knew about Cambodia, I knew a little more at that time. What I knew about Cambodia was that it's right next door to Vietnam. It's much poorer than Vietnam, especially at that time, almost 20 years ago, uh, and that at the close of the Vietnam War, uh, when uh, the West pulled out of Vietnam, Cambodia dropped into a genocide, a, 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 a communist revolution, and a genocide that in five years killed a third of the people in the country. A third of the people in the country, and then most of the people, and, and that's all I knew. I, I, I had heard stories about uh, child prostitution. I'd heard stories about the corruption, but I didn't really know anything else, and, but I said, sure, and so I, uh, he said, well, I know this guy, and he's a pastor at our church an hour or so away, and he takes mission trips to Cambodia. Um, and so I uh, uh, called my wife, and I said, hey, I heard about this guy. Can I go on a mission trip with him sometime? And she said, uh, yeah, I mean, if, if that's what God's calling us to do, go. Um, I called the guy, and he said, uh, yeah, call me back in about 10 months, because we're leaving in like two weeks on this trip, and we already have our team, we already have our tickets, we have all that stuff, we don't have a place for you. Um, long story short, I elbowed my way onto that trip in two weeks. I didn't even travel with the rest of the team, I'd never met them, but I felt like God was calling us there. And uh, so I showed up, uh, apart from the rest of the team, I showed up in Cambodia, and I met these guys, and we spent uh, about three weeks on the ground there. And, um, you know, before I tell you too much about my experiences in Cambodia, because those were, that first trip were really formative, I want to read what a guy named Henry Cam said about Cambodia. Henry Cam was a Pulitzer Prize winning author and was considered one of the experts on Southeast Asia. And he wrote this book, Comprehensive History of Cambodia. And at the end, here was his, here was his afterword. Here's how he closed this book. 
So today's Cambodia is a basket case. It's a country that hardly nourishes and barely teaches its ever-increasing people, nor does it bind its multiple wounds or cure its many ills. In large measure, its workers are exploited, its women ill-used, its children unprotected, its soil studded with treacherous landmines primed to kill. No equitable rule of law or impartial justice shelters Cambodians against a mean-spirited establishment of political and economic power, a cabal that is blind and deaf to the crying needs and abused people. Cambodian politicians scarcely pretend to serve the Cambodian's people. Will there be another chance? I doubt it. Cambodia today is nothing but a pathetically weak, ill-governed, and unproductive country that has vanished from the radar screen that emits signals warning of impending international crises. Nations do not become extinct. There will always be Cambodians. But their lives can become so impoverished of everything that makes a human being their leaders so arbitrary, corrupt, and indifferent to everything but their egoism that a people founders and loses a struggle for national survival. Cambodia, I fear, is past helping itself. That's a bleak assessment. That's a bleak assessment, and that was, generally speaking, the world's assessment of Cambodia. And, and you know, that's not an afterword, that's an epitaph. You know, that's not, that's not a prescription, that's a, that, that's a death certificate. Uh, and that's what I walked into, uh, and I saw a lot of those things. I, I saw a lot, a lot of the evidence of corruption. I saw the poverty like I'd never seen before. First um, trip there, we visited a state-run orphanage that was even worse than the one my son had come from. There were literally kids dying, so sitting there softly crying in the corner and dying and nobody taking care of them. But what I didn't see was the conclusion that he came to, that Cambodia is beyond hope. I didn't see that because I met, while I was there, Cambodian Christians that absolutely blew me away. And I look back on that first trip and like from a, like a strategic or missiological standpoint, the trip actually wasn't that great. You know, it was well planned and everyone was on time, but it was all about us white guys singing and playing guitar. And, uh, but the Cambodian Christians I met made just such a huge impact. These are guys who, and, and men and women uh, who are about my age or younger, but instead of riding their bike around the park when they were uh, five or six years old, their country was taken over and uh, they were forced to be separated from their families. Many of them watched their own parents get killed. Uh, they had lived as refugees, uh, some of them as child soldiers. Uh, many of them had come to Christ first in the refugee camps in Thailand and then had trained to become pastors and, and, and Christian leaders in underground illegal seminaries. And and, and, and yet, through all of that, I saw a vibrant, hope-filled generation. Um, they were running towards, not away from suffering. You know, these people that have all the excuse in the world to say, give us some time to focus on rebuilding our own lives. Give us some time. Some of them hadn't even gone back and found the land that they'd come from and tried to reclaim it or build a house. You know, uh, but they were ministering in these state-run orphanages. They were providing medical and dental care where they could. They were loving their enemies, and they were preaching this gospel of reconciliation where genocide perpetrators and genocide survivors could come together and sing in a church, because he lives, I can face tomorrow, because he lives, all fear is gone. Blew me away. I always hate, I never actually liked that song until I heard it sung in Cambodia, in Phnom Penh, Cambodia, understanding that original context. Uh, and, and, and reconciliation between uh, survivors and perpetrators and between God and humanity. 
And at that point in time in my life, you know, I'd been looking for how do I get involved, what do I do, what does it look like for me to deal with these, this, this sort of impulse inside me that I want, I want to be a courageous leader for my family, for my, for my business, my church. Um, uh, I knew that if I could ever choose anybody to teach me how to do that, it wouldn't be at a seminar. Uh, in America, it wouldn't be at a seminary in America, or it wouldn't be a, a mentorship that I could find there. It was these guys. I wanted to learn from them. They were the courageous leaders I had always wanted to be. So by the end of the three weeks, I started talking with the guy. His name was Dave, the guy who had led the trip. I'm like, man, this is great. What's next? And he's like, I don't know what you mean by, like, you know, I don't know what you mean by next. You can keep on coming back with me. But as we talked about it, you know, the job, uh, the business I had started, I was in marketing uh, and communications, and we actually had a lot of clients that were nonprofits and Christian organizations. And man, I thought, you know, I know how to tell somebody's story and ask people to give money. And, uh, and I said to him, why don't we just ask these guys um, what, what they need, and so we did, and we started talking with our Cambodian friends, and that's how Asia's Hope started. So right now, Asia's Hope, you know, it's like a real thing with employees and an office and, you know, and projects on the ground, but it started out just a couple people and the other people who are on the trip who came back and said, the only thing right now we have to bring is we can bring encouragement, we can, we can tell people the story, and we can probably bring some money just a little bit of money. And so we became sort of this, I call it a grassroots philanthropic venture capital uh, thing. Grassroots meaning totally unorganized. We didn't know what we were doing. But we started doing that. We started going back. We saw God blessing uh, the, the dental clinics and, and the orphanage ministries and the college student ministries that we were funding. And the time came after a couple years where you know um, we were walking through the airports with like $10,000 in cash strapped to our thighs, hoping not to get uh, padded down by customs and somebody said to us, you know, John, I'd give you a lot more money if you actually, if I could get a receipt for it and, uh, you know, and so we began taking it uh, seriously and in uh, 2001 we registered for our nonprofit status and we got a board and a lawyer and a bank account and, 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 um, and so today, but, 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 what I would say, but the word, the, the one thing we also had to do in addition to a bank account was a name. We didn't have a name. Dave su suggested Camforce, and I thought it was a terrible name. Uh, partially because I thought, well, what if we're, we do more than Cambodia sometime? And, uh, and, and the word that kept on coming back to me was hope, was hope. Because I had seen the prognosis for Cambodia, and it was Cambodia's beyond hope. Will there ever be another chance? I doubt it. Um, but I saw this hope, and it, and, and it had really uh, affected and infected me. And so we named the organization Asia's Hope. Um, and, and, and so I want to talk a little bit about this morning about what hope means. You know, what, what is hope uh, and how it ties in with courageous leadership? You know, we use hope a lot, you know, and, and we, we mean hope usually, we mean it to mean optimism or something we'd wish to happen. I hope to pay off my college debt someday. All you seniors. Uh, uh, I hope it's not going to rain next week when we do serve day. Or even I hope, I hope my daughter will respond to this next round of chemo. But here's what Paul says about hope. He says, we, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? 
But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. That's in Romans 8:22 through 25. And then Peter says in 1 Peter 1, 3 through 6, he says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In this great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. I had seen a people that had suffered grief in all kinds of trials all kinds of trials, uh, but, they, but, but they had hope. And, and, and I think that, that what I take from this is that real hope is not optimism, it's the promise, the sure promise of transformation. My life will change, my suffering will end, I am safe and I'm loved, rooted in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the promise of new life, that, that because Jesus died, he, he suffered torture and death and was raised again, that no matter what happens to me, I can go through war and genocide, I can lose my family, I can even lose my own life, but I'm, I'm, I'm safe. And, 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 and because I'm safe and because I have this, this, uh, this promised transformation in my life, I can freely give away everything I have. I can courageously lead because I know that nothing not even death is going to stop me. And, 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 and so that is the, the nexus, I think, of hope, this, this promise of transformation and this courageous leadership that I believe God has not only called just a few of us into, but all of us into. Talk about, talk about hope. The other side of hope is, is what most people thought of in Cambodia, and frankly, Cambodia and where we work in Thailand, where we work with my all minority hill tribe kids, they would be like Native American kids here in America, and in India, where we work with ethnic minority uh, Nepali folks up in the foothills of the Himalayas, where Christians are being persecuted uh, at an, every day at an increasing rate. Um, a lot of people living in those communities really do live every day without any hope. Imagine you're an orphan kid in this situation. You don't have any reason to believe your life is ever going to improve. And if you're Buddhist or Hindu, you have no reason to believe that even death won't just bring another round of suffering again and again and again until someday, instead of being exalted um, and having all of our needs and desires met in the person of Jesus Christ and in the kingdom of heaven, your, your existence would, would just mercifully someday, the book would close and you would cease to exist. I'm thankful that God blessed me and my family with hope-filled Cambodian, Thai, Indian brothers and sisters that, that, that proved that all these fatal diagnoses were wrong, that Cambodia was, was too far gone, that orphan kids don't have any promise of transformation, that me as like a 28-year-old American kid had nothing really to give. I didn't have a place in God's, in God's work. That, that my family isn't called or equipped for international ministry or significant ministry of any kind. We've been told that. That's another story. The missions pastor of our church told us, yeah, we've thought about it. We, we've decided that you guys aren't cut out for international ministry. And so they kind of shut the door on us. But, but God opened it up. And what, what God has opened, nobody can shut. You know, these guys inspired me by their faithfulness, by their selflessness, by their courage. 
And, and by their example, I've learned how to trust God to meet my needs. I mean, how can I, I mean, you know, it, it's tough. I go back, I go to Cambodia, Thailand, India, and while I'm there, I feel like, man, i have so inspired. I'm gonna come back. I'm never gonna worry about anything until the first bill comes back when I get back, you know, and the checkbook doesn't, uh, you know, d- doesn't have enough to cover it. But, you know, through their example, I have learned uh, how to uh, have hope for my life and how to therefore lead courageously. And that's what God's called uh, me into and called our organization in is to guide other people into that. Um, so my life has been entirely, radically changed. Uh, my vocation was redefined. I used to be defined by what I could achieve in business. Um, I became vo- bivocational for a few years as Asia's Hope grew, and then I shut down my business uh, in 2009 uh, to dedicate full-time to Asia's Hope. And now I get to lead, I get to lead our staff. We have a staff of 250 uh, indigenous workers. We're 100% indigenous, which means that all the people working in Cambodia are from Cambodia. Small office in the U.S., about five people, about 250 uh, in Cambodia, Thailand, and India. I get to lead partnering churches. I get to lead companies, individually, family foundations into uh, significant uh, leadership and into sacrificial giving. Uh, People who, I've had doctors go and say, now I remember what I became a doctor for. It wasn't to uh, fill out insurance paperwork all day uh, and argue with pharmaceutical reps. It was, I wanted to make a change in the life. I wanted to see people who were broken uh, become whole. Uh, and, and, you know, I've seen uh, so many people find a true vocation. They, they, like me, didn't have any natural inclination towards this part of the world or to the, this ministry, but because they were infected with that idea that I can, I can, with God's power, help change the world. Um, and, and, and the opportunity, you know, imagine... I think some of you probably, a lot of you have been in, uh, in the military, some of you are in hospitals and helping professions, maybe you've had the chance to save a life. I never had the chance to save the life. I mean, what, but I can promise you that if you get involved in working with vulnerable kids and vulnerable communities, you can save lives. You, you can save lives, and I'm, not, and, 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 and I'm not just talking about giving, you know, saving somebody's life in the sense of inspiring them, but literally save the life of a child who's dying and whose future is, 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 to, uh, is, is to die uh, of some preventable sickness or to become trafficked as a prostitute uh, or to live a life of despair. And, and, and so uh, Asia's Hope, I, I'm just one guy. Right? And Asia's Hope is just one organization. Even in the scope of like Christian ministries, we're tiny, but I believe that we, and I believe that First City Church, we are small but vibrant threads in this tapestry that God is weaving. Uh, I believe that uh, we are right at the center of God's plan. And I know that what God calls us to, he's gonna resource us for. You know, I had a pastor once say, Jesus doesn't invite you out for lunch and stick you with a bill. Uh, And uh, we've seen so many times the way God has provided for us, our family and our ministry miraculously. Uh, and, And when I see your church pushing into those places in the world, especially with vulnerable kids. I know that you are the center of God's plan. You're the apple of his eyes because vulnerable kids and families, God says he's, he's the father uh, to, the, uh, to the orphan. He says, I am the father to the fatherless. Uh, and he says, I'm the one who puts kids into families. And when, when, when Paul talks about what it means to come into salvation, a relationship with God, he uses a metaphor of being an orphan child who's adopted. 
So I believe that as you push into this as a church, uh, you are uh, at the center of God's will, at the center of his provision, because it's a top priority for him. He's in the adoption business. He's in the foster care business. And uh, so this is, this is why I love this church. This is why I'm excited to have the opportunity to share a little bit about my life and why I feel like this is the right time and the right, just the right Sunday to bring you these words of encouragement. And so today, I just want to say to you that if, if you're looking for an opportunity to start leading courageously, you couldn't be in a better place. You know, you couldn't be in a better place. I've talked to your pastors and to your leaders, and I hear their heart. I hear their confidence that they have for you. I hear they hope that they have for some of the darkest uh, and saddest places in this community. And, and I see them working hard to prepare opportunities for you. I would encourage you. Um, if I was here next week, I'd be at Serve Day. Um, just because, uh, you know, sometimes, yeah, I didn't know where I was going at the beginning of this journey. Uh, and I feel blessed that, I, that God gave me the, 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 the tiny amount of courage, tiny amount of courage to say yes. And wherever you are, whatever that step is in front of you, when you have an opportunity to serve, especially hurting people, uh, uh, if you say yes, if you take that little bit of courage, it's sort of like a, many of you may know the story in the Bible, the little boy uh, who had uh, just a couple loaves of bread and fishes, and uh, Jesus took that, and he honored that, and he blessed it, and he used it to feed thousands and thousands of people. God isn't looking to exclude you from ministry. God isn't looking to say, I'm only going to take those that are the most prepared, that are, that are the most uh, uh, well-educated, that have the most resources. I used to believe that. I used to believe that, but, but when I started saying yes to God in small ways, he started leading me down his path. Um, and so uh, I, I would encourage you all, uh, sign up for serve day, but don't even, don't stop there. When you hear people up here, I went to a Christian school and I grew up in a church and I'd hear people speak and you know, they'd have the missionary guy uh, or something like that and I would always think that's not for me. And I'm not saying you also have to change your vocation because at Asia's Hope, you know, like there are only a couple of us who have left our existing jobs, but everybody has changed, let me change that. You may need to change your vocation, but you might not need to leave your job. Uh, but so many people who used to look at their lives defined by other things now go, you know what I am? I'm somebody who rescues orphan kids. I stand up against human traffic or, uh, trafficking. I'm an abolitionist. I'm a worker for justice. And I believe that God has that for all of you. If for no other reason that for some reason he called you here that this Sunday morning you're sitting in this church hearing this message and getting these opportunities. So I'm going to close in prayer. And uh, if you're interested in talking to me for a while or learning more about Asia's Hope, I'm going to be down in the coffee shop. I've got a little piece of paper you can pick up that says, that's got like our website on it and another one that says, yeah, please stay in contact with me. Um, but I'm just going to pray right now. Father God, thank you for this church. Thank you for the precious people here in this church. Thank you, God, that uh, you have called them together at this point in time in history to do a specific work in Pensacola, Florida, and around the world. 
God, I pray right now that uh, uh, you would uh, still uh, the voices that may be coming from inside our own hearts, from our own insecurities, may be coming from our enemy, Satan, who wants desperately to make sure that this church doesn't get fully engaged in your mission on behalf of vulnerable kids and families. Uh, pray right now in the name of Jesus Christ that you would, that you would silence uh, uh, God, that you would silence those voices so that we can all hear from your spirit. And I pray today that there will be conversations after church between kids and parents, husbands and wives, and conversations on Monday between bosses and uh, employees and employees and their managers about, about how uh, people in this church are gonna start making you know, making significant changes like we've seen so many already do to begin to run after the people who are desperately lost and in need of your hope. So we pray this blessing on this church and on these people for this time. Pray, Lord, that anything that you've given me and blessing in my life, you'd give double to this congregation uh, and that you would raise up a new generation of leaders from these seniors, bless them as they go off into this next stage of life. And uh, we ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, guys. You're welcome. Thank you, guys. Thank you.